0: Good morning, Sanctuary. My name is Andrew. If you're new with us, I'm the pastor here. uh, And it's just great to be with you online. Uh, In just a little bit, this room is going to fill with folks. Uh, We are excited to have you once you are comfortable and able to be here with us. There's nothing like gathering together uh, in this space. Sanctuary Eastside and Sanctuary Central, welcome. I wanted to let you know about uh, something the 70 days of rebuilding are what we're calling it. We're really, really excited um, about building our in-person culture again. And that includes uh, teams that make Sunday happen. And so uh, starting this Sunday... Seventy days go until uh, mid-August, when Sanctuary East Side is going to um, regather on their own on the East Side. So we're regathering together for this season. And what the East Side is going to be doing is um, every other week, the East Side teams will be serving here on a Sunday morning. Uh, they'll be doing these social events uh, throughout the summer, gathering together on the East Side to hang out, to practice the withward direction together, uh, as well as having some prayer and worship gatherings that are going to be taking place. So we got a lot of details coming. Uh, Eastside family, keep an eye on your email and Instagram and all that kind of communication. But for all of us, so Eastside included and Central, uh, we are, uh, as we look, think through these 70 days of regathering, these 70 days of rebuilding, um, we need everyone to step in. And so we're just asking you to serve this summer, to get on a team Uh, There's our hospitality team. Those are the friendly faces uh, that welcome you as you come in through the church door. There's our worship team, our setup team. And we are incredibly thrilled to announce that Kid City is going to be back in person this summer. Uh, We have someone from our community who's willing to step up and help us really regather and reorganize well along with our Kid City team. So if you're interested in serving a nursery or preschool room or the elementary room, we would love to have you. Uh, If you're just interested in learning a little more what that would look like, please, please sign up. All the information there is in the chat or on the screen, and uh, we uh, cannot wait to serve with you. Uh, This next Sunday, that would be June 13th, maybe? June 14th? forget the date, next Sunday, Uh, and the Sunday after. We're just asking you, if you sign up to serve, pick one of those two days to be your sort of first serve Sunday, and you can come. Uh, Again, our team will help walk you through the different places where you're able to get involved. And um, this is just one place in these 70 days of rebuilding uh, that is gonna just help us as a church get back to where we need to be uh, and to be on track as we head uh, into the fall. So uh, I wanna invite you to uh, turn with me, if you have your Bible with you, turn with me to Exodus 16. Exodus 16. And uh, if it's alright with you, I'm going to give a little sermon this morning. Let me pray for us. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, we thank you. We thank you that you are not far from any one of us, Lord. We thank you, uh, Lord, for your presence with us this morning, that... Um, Oh, I know, I, I'm, I think I'm filled with enough faith for everybody who is who is watching this online and all who will come through the doors this morning. Um, that the worship and the liturgy and the connections that are made, even if over chat or in a Zoom room after this service with communion, are gathered together, singing songs, hearing the teaching, Lord, that there's... Um, You have something for us today as a family, as a community, and maybe even as individuals, ways that you want to encourage us, ways that you want to challenge, ways that you uh, want to help us become uh, more faithful disciples, faithful apprentices of Jesus. So help us, Lord, to walk the way of truth, of love, the way of life. And everybody said, amen. Exodus 16, these people are journeying in the wilderness, they have been rescued from slavery, uh, and now they are grumbling. We return to these stories regularly. The Exodus story is like a, there's like a through line through all of scriptures, and um, Uh, that revolve around what happens in this Exodus story. It is the the best way for us to understand so much of the New Testament and Jesus' teachings and what the New Testament writers are trying to get across. So we come back to this story all of the time. This tribe had been rescued from slavery in Egypt and now they are grumbling and God hears them because God hears the cry even when it's a grumbling cry. We read in verse four, when the dew was gone, thin flakes like frost on the ground appeared on the desert floor. When the Israelites saw it, they said to each other, What is it? For they did not know what it was. They literally called the thing that they didn't know. They just called it, what is it? And this is the word manna. Moses said to them, that's the Hebrew word for what is it, is manna. Moses said to them, it is the bread the Lord has given you to eat. This is what the Lord commanded. Everyone is to gather as much as they take. Uh, As much as they need, take an omer for each person you have in your tent. The Israelites did as they were told. Some gathered much, some little. And when they measured uh, it by the omer, the one who gathered much did not have too much. And the one who gathered little did not have too little. Everyone had gathered just as much as they needed. Then Moses said to them, no one is to keep any of it until morning. However, some of them paid no attention to Moses. They kept part of it until morning, but it was full of maggots and began to smell. So Moses was angry with them. They are journeying and hungry, and God gives them enough for the day. There are some who cannot live with this, they have to stockpile, they have to have some guarantees. And then God brings the maggots, which apparently is God's way of saying, I'm only going to give you enough for today. Turn with me to Numbers 9. This is a different account of the same journey. It's not just food where we get an invitation to like daily dependence, just enough for today or daily bread. No, you have this uncomfortable truth, actually comes up in a number of categories. Numbers 9. Verse 15, on the day of the tabernacle, the tent of the covenant law was set up. The cloud uh, covered it. From evening till morning, the cloud above the tabernacle looked like fire. That is how it continued to be. The cloud covered it, and at night, it looked like fire. Whenever the cloud lifted from the tent, the Israelites set out. Wherever the cloud settled, the Israelites encamped. At the Lord's command, the Israelites set out, and at his command, they encamped. So there's something about this cloud that the Lord is using to guide his people. As long as the cloud stayed over the tabernacle, they remained in camp. When the cloud remained over the tabernacle a long time, the Israelites obeyed the Lord's order and did not set out. Sometimes the cloud was over the tabernacle only a few days. At the Lord's command, they would encamp, and then at his command, they would set out. Sometimes the cloud stayed only from evening till morning, and when it lifted in the morning, they set out. Whether by day or by night, Whenever the cloud lifted, they set out. Whether the cloud stayed over the tabernacle for two days or a month or a year, the Israelites would remain in camp and not set out. But when it lifted, they would set out, just so you're getting this. At the Lord's command, they encamped, and at the Lord's command, they set out. When it comes to provision, there's just enough for today. And apparently when it comes to guidance, it it might be the same. The only way that you know what to do is to follow the cloud. There's no calendar. There's no schedule. Sometimes you might be there a while. Other times you're going to move pretty quickly. All they are given is direction for the next step. If the cloud moves, you move. If the cloud stays, you stay. On the journey, there are no guarantees about where and when you are going to move. You only get enough guidance for the next step. Turn with me, if you would, to Numbers 12. A few characters you should know about in Numbers 12. You have Miriam, who's Moses' sister. She is the poet, the mystic, the life of the party. You've got her brother Aaron, who is the high priest. He leads the people. These two are known by everyone. And we read in Numbers 12, that Miriam and Aaron began to talk against Moses because of his Cushite wife, for he had married a Cushite. So real quickly, what's going on here? I don't know if you know where Cush is, but Cush is in Ethiopia. Moses married a black woman, someone outside of the tribe, and they have a problem with this. They have a problem with this, and they don't go to him. This is a family in the wilderness being led by God and his closest people begin to speak against him and his wife. The passage goes on. Verse two, has the Lord spoken only through Moses, they asked. So the siblings asked, really, has the Lord only spoken through Moses? Hasn't he also spoken through us? And the Lord heard this. By the way, if you grumble and complain and then you read the Lord heard this, like things are not gonna go well for you. They are upset about Moses' wife, but there's something else, something deeper. The subtext here, I think, is pretty clear. It's, aren't we all special? Look at this guy marrying the girl from the other tribe. You think God only speaks through her? There's something more going on. They really have a question that revolves around their own jealousy and their own contentment and favoritism. How come Moses gets to do all this, right? Moses has this privileged position. There's a larger thing happening. Look, on the journey, you don't know where tomorrow's vision, uh, provision will come from. And you don't know what the next step will look like. And you don't know what relationships will undergo turmoil. You don't know what loved one might turn on you. You don't know what group of friends might turn out to not be who you thought they were. You don't have guarantees. Your relationships may not always be the way they were at the beginning. For Moses, there are only a few things that are consistent. Otherwise, otherwise everything is up for grabs. There are only a few guarantees. Turn with me to number 16. Number 16, if you're a leader, this is the worst thing that could possibly happen to you. Korah, son of Izar, and son of Kohath, the son of Levi, and certain Reubenites, Datham and Abram, sons of Eliab, and on sons of Peleth, became insolent, and they rose up against Moses. People in the tribe here on the journey rose up against Moses. With them were 250 Israelite men, well-known community leaders who had been appointed members of the council. They came as a group to oppose Moses and Aaron and said to them, you've gone too far. The whole community is holy, every one of them, and the Lord is with them. Why then do you set yourselves above the Lord's assembly? As we're tracing Moses' journey, you never know where the attack is going to come from. You never know where the ache is going to come from or what the next phone call will bring. We all know that moment where you're like, they said what? Right? I can't believe this is happening. Some of you have been in the doctor's office when you heard the diagnosis and you were like, no way, no way. You're reading about what someone did to you Or someone that you love and you're like, no way. They would post that. They would send that. Really? We know this story. Deuteronomy 34. This is the end of the journey. They are on their way, right? This whole journey, by the way, if you're new to the scriptures, this tribe... The Israelites are on their way to the promised land. Moses is going to deliver them. They've been saved by grace through faith out of Egypt. They have been given uh, uh, a covenant of how we're going to live together in the Ten Commandments. And they begin to journey to the promised land. Moses has been journeying with these difficult people for 40 years. Verse 4, Then the Lord said to him, to Moses. This is the land I promised on oath to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob when I said, I will give it to your descendants. You're like, this is the epic end that we've been waiting for, and then we get this. I have let you see it with your eyes, but you will not cross over into it. You've gone through so much suffering. You've dealt with so much, but you're actually not going to be able to step foot in the promised land. You're kidding. Moses has worked hard for this dream and for all the mistakes even he has made. Does it really equate to missing out on this? He doesn't get to fully realize the dream. There is a lie deep in all of us and it takes all sorts of forms. So let's pull out a little little XY graph here. There is this lie that if you do this, the people you are with will do that. Of course, God will do this if I do that. If, If you follow through here, this will happen. Everything will be up into the right. If you take care of yourself, like, you're never gonna hear the words cancer. If you raise your kids well, they will never run away and make horrible decisions. If you work with integrity and you work hard and you do your best, everything will go up into the right. If you read the right marriage books every couple of years, like, there's no way your spouse is gonna turn on you. It's not how the chart goes. It's a lie. This jacks up our relationship and understanding of God. It's like if you do A and you do B and you do C, you will be healthy and you will be wealthy. These lies are buried in us. If you work hard, you'll get to the promised land. It's deep in our views about God. I've been struggling in general with this, plans and relationships that I thought would go one way turned, dealing with very unexpected things, heartache and pain and things that are just, they feel in my bones so unfair and so wrong, The heartache and the loss and the frustration because, see, the journey of life is much more like this. Is there any way that you've been trying to exert control and it's not working? Is there anyone you've been trying to uh, get to understand your infinite wisdom and it's not working? Is there some stress over your future? You're like, I, I, I need some guarantees and they aren't coming. In the midst of things that you can't control, There are some things that we can. If you were to trace the arc of Moses' life, I think a few things leap out to us. Guidance and the provision and the relationships, even the things he's given his life to seem to fall apart. But if you notice, we go back to the beginning. And I'll just do a quick flyover. Exodus 3, verse 11. But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? So, out of the gate, the beginning of the story, or we're going back to the beginning, he's saying, you got the wrong guy, not me. Exodus 4, Moses answered, what if they do not believe me or listen to me and say the Lord did not appear to you? Like, what if they don't listen to me? He's like, "Uh, maybe, maybe, but they're really not going to listen to me. There's no way I'm going to be able to lead your people out of Egypt. Verse 10, Moses said to the Lord, pardon your servant, Lord. I have never been eloquent, neither in the past, nor since you have spoken to your servant. I am slow of speech and tongue. He's saying, I failed public speaking class. He's just like, I mean, these are legit excuses. It's not Moses just, I can't do this. They're not going to listen to me. I don't know how to speak right, look. Please, God, you got the wrong guy. Verse 13, when Moses said, pardon your servant, Lord, please said someone else. It's like at this point in the story, he's just like, leave me alone. <laughs> leave me alone. We read Moses returned to the Lord and said, why, Lord, have you brought trouble on this people? I'm gonna highlight or remember the phrase this people. Is this why you sent me ever ever since I went to Pharaoh to speak in your name he has brought trouble on this people and you have not rescued your people circle highlight underline your people at all Exodus 32 We have this scene and we're fast-forwarding again towards the end of the story where they've lost patience with the journey they're still in the wilderness They make a calf out of gold. Long story there. Moses comes down from the mountain. The people are worshiping an idol. And we read in verse nine, I have seen these people, the Lord said to Moses, and they are stiff-necked people. God is furious. Because God rages against the things that would keep us from him. God's wrath is on the brokenness and the ways that we choose lesser loves. And then in verse seven, then the Lord said to Moses, go down because your people whom you brought out of Egypt have become corrupt. God's like, I don't even recognize these people anymore. So Moses went back to the Lord and said, oh, what a great sin these people have committed. Moses agrees. This is a mess. They have made themselves gods of gold. But now please forgive their sin. But if not, then blot me out of the book you have written. Blot me out is just a euphemism for kill me, take my life. The story begins with Moses, the shepherd saying, I don't care about your people. They're your people. I don't care about their suffering. I, I, I don't really care about their oppression. I don't want the job. I can't speak anyway. They won't listen to me anyway. Who am I? These people, your people, they're the worst. He journeys with them for 40 years under protest. And then by chapter 32 that we just read, where God is furious with them and Moses says, take my life instead. He goes from indifference to I will lay down my life. He goes from, I don't care about their suffering to I will suffer in their place. You can't control where some of the attacks come from. You can't. Anticipate what dreams are going to blow up. You can't control the, he can't control necessarily tomorrow's provision, but you can control the kind of person that you are becoming. You can control what's happening in your heart. You can move towards the Lord to gather up all the broken bits and allow him to transform and to move you. Are you moving from indifference to compassion? Did Moses even know? I don't think so. That that was the shift that was even happening. But what we do see Moses do is over and over surrender and trust. i moving from a hard heart to an open one. There are all sorts of things that you can't control, but you can control how you will respond to the twists and the turns and the uncertainties of life. Exodus 13, one last verse in Exodus. I've read this verse so many times as somebody who's studied the Bible for years and been pastoring for a little while now. It's never, ever, ever, ever leapt off the page like it did a few days back. When Pharaoh let the people go, so this is just after their deliverance, God did not lead them on the road through the Philistine country, though that was shorter. Now, for all the things you could say about the historical context, and maybe it wasn't the wisest route, there's a lot of speculation about this. I felt like God like illuminated this verse in some way. I love this. Because this is the story of everyone's life. Life could have been so much easier. There are so many places where a straight shot The shorter route would have saved so much heartache. And when I think about the relationships that have blown up or the dreams that have faded, these people were supposed to do this. That week was supposed to unfold like this. There was a shorter route. But we often end up on the longer one. And I know for me, I wouldn't be who I am if I had ignored the Lord and taken the shorter route. In fact, uh, I could take a bunch more time this morning and share all the times that I did try to do that. It's the twists and it's the turns that have shaped me. This morning I bumped into uh, Pastor Sarah, many of you know Sarah, and um, uh, we got to talking a little bit about this message and I shared this, um, this moment. I shared um, this moment of this verse sort of jumping off the page to me about the shorter route and the longer route, and I saw her eyes light up as I was sharing this, and she told me this story, and I thought, you got to come and share this. You have to share this in the middle of this message. So Sarah's here, and I want to invite her to, to talk a little bit about the shorter route and the longer route.
1: Nine years ago, actually nine years ago today, as you're watching this broadcast on June 6th, Greg and I lost a baby named Lily to miscarriage. Some of you know the story of Lily and about that chapter in our lives. Um, But today, the specific thing that I want to share that kind of came up for us this morning Was this experience that i had with god in prayer so in the weeks and months that followed this loss i was in a season of intense wrestling with god i was taking this deep dive into what i believed about suffering and god's goodness and god's plans and what it means to trust god i was doing all these mental gymnastics and i did this partly to protect my relationship with jesus because I didn't want to blame him or see him as the author of suffering and partly to defend myself against the well-meaning but often unhelpful things that people tend to say when you're in grief. And I'll never forget, in the midst of all that swirling and wrestling and grief, I was sitting on my couch one day trying to pray. And one of the ways that I like to pray is I like to take a walk with Jesus in my mind. So Jesus and I were taking this little walk in the woods And suddenly, we came to a fork in the path, and I knew that the destination that we were headed to was just on the other side of the path to the right. And that path was wide, and it was easy, and it was beautiful, and our destination was right there. But In that moment, as we're together in the woods, Jesus looked at me, and he held out his hand, and he just said, come on, we're going this way. And he gestured to the path to the left. And that path honestly looked a little ominous. It was definitely darker. It was narrower, bumpier. It was winding. And I knew that it would take us longer to reach our destination. But there was something so comforting in the way that Jesus simply said, with no explanation or no you know, mental gymnastics, he simply said, come on, we're going this way. And that image profoundly changed my perspective on that season of my grief and of my waiting, mostly because of the gift of Jesus's presence with me on that longer path.
0: Thank you, Sarah. There are some things that we can only learn from the twists and the turns and the bends. There are some things that if everything was perfect and fine, we would, we would actually never really truly grow. God never guarantees things like provision. Plans, relationships. And Again, by provision, I mean the way that we often think about provision. Storing up. All you get That God will be with you. I'll be with you. Is there anyone that you've been trying to control? A child, a friend, a spouse? Is there a circumstance that you need to turn over to God? Like, it's not submitting to my will. And you need to to surrender. You need to entrust the outcomes. Have you had any anxiety about where your provision is going to come from? I need to trust the Lord with today. Are you trying to get God to tell you the one year plan? God, I give you my future. I'm tired of working about, like working for things that are out of my grasp. And we just need to accept God's path for us and accept that it won't always be the short route. Is there any attitude of control or anxiety manipulation that you just need to let go. Family, my sisters and brothers, may you be reminded that Jesus says, follow me. That's all. Follow me. May you be okay with the journey. May you identify the spirit of God leading you leading you into what you can and cannot control. May you surrender what you cannot control to the God of the universe who will give you what you need, which may be different than what you want. What is it that I can control? What is it that God wants to shape in me? There is this breath prayer that our home churches do often. We've done this even here on the broadcast. This really simple prayer based out of the words of the psalmist in Psalm 23 is breathe in the line, the Lord is my shepherd, providing me my daily food, providing me all that I need for the day and then breathing out, I shall not want, or the Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. The Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. The Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. Today, um, we're going to, in person this morning, um, uh, on the broadcast, we're going to go to uh, a time of communion. Um, But we're going to sing this song, um, Jireh, based on this name for God that's given in Genesis. Jehovah Jireh, it just means my provider, my provider. And it made me think of this book. um, It's a title that is just sort of kind of clunky, but has always resonated with me. And and the book is called, um, from Stan Taller, it's called God Has Never Failed Me, But He Sure Scared Me to Death a Few Times. Not the catchiest title, but it stays with you. God's never failed me, but he sure scared me to death a few times. I'm not sure of the whole theology of that, but Abraham, Abraham's sort of the father of faith. He, he, we read in Genesis 22, the famous story where God asks him to take his son, your only son whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains that I shall show you. When Isaac asked his father where the sacrifice was, Abraham answers, the Lord will provide. And this is rendered Jehovah-Jireh. Before Abraham could bring down the knife on his son, the angel of the Lord called out to him and says, "Ah, don't lay your hand on that boy. Caught in the thicket was a ram, and that's where the sacrifice was provided. It's a whole long story. Jehovah Jireh, though, is this name that is then attributed to God and has um, stayed in the, 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 the way of God, the way of, of Jesus. It's a term that comes up even in this modern song that we're about to sing that was just written last year. Jehovah Jireh, the Lord provided, God will provide. And the word is actually richer than the English denotes. Provide in Hebrew is also this idea, um, more specifically, is to see to it which is similar um, to the name a woman named Hagar calls the Lord in Genesis 16, which is the Lord who sees. The Hebrew word also means like to perceive and experience. So when Abraham calls God Jehovah Jireh, he isn't just saying God, like, like give us the goods, like give us the things. He is saying, you see and experience this need of mine and you make provision for it. It's so deeply personal. The Lord who sees and the Lord who provides. So Jesus growing up as a boy in Nazareth would have heard this story over and over. This is like in the top five stories. (laughs) The Lord who provides is all over. Jehovah Jireh is all over Jesus' seminal kingdom manifesto sermon, the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew. He says, God closed the lilies of the field, Jehovah Jireh. The Lord will provide. Don't worry about tomorrow. The Lord will provide and trust others. Don't try to control them. The Lord will provide. The Lord Jehovah Jireh. You can put your trust and your faith in him. Build your life upon this, upon this, Lord in this moment these last few minutes together to not just jump to the next thing but to engage in this moment meaningfully with these questions as we look at the story of Moses as we look um, for all of his um, fickleness and unfaithfulness Lord we look at the ways in which uh, he just he moved to surrender He moved to openness. He moved to release. He moved towards, Lord, will you lead? And even though the route was longer and not the path he had expected, even though life did not go up and to the right, he found himself transformed. He found himself more like you and thus more in tune with life and thus seeing the brokenness messiness in his own heart cleared out and cleaned out as he relied more and more on you. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on us, people who just choose to grab the wheel. How many times over the last year, God, have we spoken about control and faith, leaving control for faith, leaving control for trust? It feels like just more than ever to trust you with the uncertainties. Lord you and you alone submit to you and you alone that we may walk the path that you have for us so as we come to this communion table as we see one another as we take the bread and we dip it in the cup we remember your sacrifice for us Lord the way that you've poured yourself open poured yourself out and broken yourself open the way that you've come to us and rescued us and redeemed us the way that you have saved us that anything that we needed to do, Lord, may that just, um, may that, um, like maybe may deposits, Lord, in us, may we allow that meal to like make a deposit in us of like a greater trust that you, the God who has saved us, who has run up the road, who has died for our sins, the assurance that we have of your love and our salvation, that you will carry us through this next season. Pray this in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit.